I would encourage you now, please, to turn to Luke's Gospel, and it's Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and it's page 1041, if your page numbering is the same as mine. We're going to read from verse 57. And the section is entitled, The Cost of Following Jesus. Let's hear God's word. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes of dens and birds of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And we pray that the Lord would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. Uh, one of the things that we're able to do just over the summer period, I'm sure, is because of a change of routine, uh, is that we, we do our normal activities even slightly differently. I don't know how you catch up with news, whether you sit in front of the TV, whether you actually get newspapers, whether you read those, whether you catch it uh, all online, but even over the summer, the manner in which I would normally, ordinarily do that is a little bit different. This may not just so definite from what I uh, would have done before, and so you only catch snippets. But what I did follow, and I, I, I hope this is right, you begin to see what maybe politically and nationally, um, if I can follow what the Prime Minister's doing, is that he seems to be in a bit of a bother uh, with his migrant policy, so he's got a big barge and he's trying to throw people onto that. And uh, it's not working out quite the way that he wanted, but he's trying to be strong, he's trying to be definite. And you know that the reason that he's doing whatever he's doing is because he's hoping that somehow he's going to keep enough people happy so that they will vote for him, and that's his modus operandi. And then on the other side of the political spectrum, you've got the leader of the opposition, who thinks he's riding high in the popularity polls. He seems to be doing well. He imagines that he's going to win the next election if he doesn't put any feet wrong. And so for him, the issue seems to be transgender. He doesn't want to say anything about it because he knows that no matter what he says, he's never going to keep enough people happy. So the best thing is just to try and ignore the issue, even when people are saying to him, but you said this and now you say that. How can you tie the two things together? Simply the easiest thing to do is say nothing, then you won't offend people, and then people will be with you. And that's, I think, the same with any leader. Anyone who starts a movement, anyone who wants to bring people along with them, you want to give them what they want. You want to encourage them in that way. If you stay with me, I'll give you this. If you um, stay alongside me, hopefully this is what you will get out of it. And that's normal. We do that in day-to-day -day living. That's how you operate in work. That's how you operate probably in amongst your own family at times. This is how life is. 
And isn't it strange then that Jesus at times deals with things in a completely different manner? Because just when you think that Jesus is going to be down on people, he's open arms and he's embracing them. You can think perhaps of the lady at the well, a lady who was so ashamed of her past life that she wasn't able to come to the well when everybody else was there. And she had to come at the heat of the day when people wouldn't be there. And yet Jesus was there and Jesus speaks to her and Jesus ministers to her and he metaphorically embraces her. And then the opposite seems to happen in the passage that we have been reading this morning because here are a number of people who come up to Jesus and they want to say, look, Jesus, we're all in. And you would expect that Jesus will give them every encouragement but it's like Jesus puts the brakes on to these guys. Now, over the last number of weeks, when I've been speaking over the summer, I've been thinking about some aspects of Jesus' life. I began thinking about Jesus as the one who preached truth. Then I was thinking about Jesus, the man who defeated Satan. Today, I want to think about Jesus as the one who makes disciples. And maybe where we begin just now is to ask the question, well, what is a disciple? A disciple basically is a follower, a follower of an individual, a follower of a certain set of teaching. Now, in Jesus' day, there were probably 6,000 individual rabbis who were running around the countryside and they were teaching and they all had their own followers. And these followers would have been with them constantly. And even about the ones that were with them constantly, there were probably two or three individuals who practically never left their side, who attended to every detail of their daily living. Most of the teaching would have been done around the dinner table. So these other followers, disciples, would have been making tea, they would have been laying it out, and they would have been listening to every word their teacher was giving. And that word disciple has come to us as what it essentially means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what we want for everyone amongst our own congregation here to be a, a better disciple than a better follower than we have been to this point. You know that for many years we've been looking through what's been called the Vine Project. We're going to be really leaning into that again in the period that's coming up when the session will be looking uh, very deeply at the practical implications of what that means, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for us, as we've been reminded about that, in a simple way, it means taking one step to the right. One step, as it were, closer to Jesus. That's what we want for every follower of Jesus here in this place, so that you are one step closer to Jesus. And if that's something that we want everyone to be involved in in terms of discipleship. You'll also be aware that we've got another discipleship uh, program running, which a few people are part of, and it's called our Life on Life Missional Discipleship. And for a few people, they're going deeper with Jesus, and we're encouraging that. So as a church... We would never want to put the brakes on to anyone. We would never say, no, you can't come any closer. So what is Jesus doing in this passage? Because in this passage, we see three men coming up. And in essence, what they're saying to Jesus is, I'm all in. Or 
It was Jesus asking them, are you all in? But to all three of them, then Jesus puts up the shutters. So how do we understand what Jesus is doing in this passage when he does the opposite of what we would expect? To help us really get into the passage, I think this story begins with conversations about what it is to be a disciple. And then in each situation, it turns around to a conversation about something that's very important. And that conversation is about the kingdom of God. You'll see that if you look closely at the end of verse 60, where you'll see the end of the first conversation. And you'll see the same at the end of verse 62 with this reference to the kingdom of God. So what this passage is really about is Jesus, as I've been saying time and again, asking the question, are you all in? And what he's talking about, are you all in with the kingdom of God? So to help us think through that even a little bit more, I want to ask you, have you ever had what might be termed a life-changing moment? Something that's happened that has changed the direction of your life. I mean, it could be getting a new job, so you go in a different direction. It could be maybe exam results that either one way or the other uh, open or close doors for you. And for you, it seems just an, an incredible moment of flux. But afterwards, as you look at it, you can see the hand of God upon your life and that God was moving you in, in a certain direction. Some of those moments may even be relatively innocuous, small, insignificant, but they turn out to be big and huge. But they launch you in a new direction. But no matter how much you might consider those moments life-changing, there are some ways not everything has changed. You're still the same person. You still look the same. You still speak the same. But when we come to following Jesus, I want us to see that this is something that's entirely different because with Jesus, Jesus changes everything. It's like even the way we look at life, if it's black and white, he, he changes that so that it's vibrant colors. If there's this sense that maybe even we're, we're sleeping and we're, we're not fully awake when it comes to Jesus, he wants to shake us awake. The teaching of the New Testament is that following Jesus is so radical that it does change everything. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he goes talking about following him, but he goes back to the kingdom of God. And this is the Bible's way, the New Testament's way of saying what it practically means that it affects your life because becoming a Christian, becoming a follower is not just an add-on to your life. It's not an extra. It is your very life. So what Jesus is asking in this passage to these guys is, do you get it? Do you understand it? So with the first one, in effect, Jesus simply asks this guy, are you ready for this? And to the other two guys, it's pretty much the same thing, but he asks, are you prepared to follow fully? So if we maybe ask those questions, the first one was to the first guy, is are you ready for what this will entail? 
The first guy comes up to Jesus, and he's obviously intrigued by Jesus. He has seen enough about Jesus. He has seen how he interacts with people. He has heard bits of his teaching. He must have seen some of the miracles that Jesus would have been performing, and he's able to recognize that there is something that is unique and different about Jesus, that he wants more of Jesus. And so, as verse 57 comes up and it speaks to us, this guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. But look at Jesus' response to him. He says, foxes of dens and birds of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I think what Jesus is doing here is that he is probing. Probing this man's commitment and to see if he has really grasped what it says about the kingdom of God. So Jesus is actually getting this man, look, take some time to look at me, he says. And think about what the world considers success. And what Jesus says to this guy is that I have none of those things. You know, birds have nests. I have nowhere to lay my head. I don't have influence. I'm not regarded well by other people. None of the those indices that people regard as being significant in life, I can offer you none of those things. But, Jesus goes, goes on to say, is that I am changing people's lives. I am offering life in all its fullness. I can bring you a deep satisfaction that this world can know nothing about. I can guarantee you the presence of God. I can guarantee real stuff that lasts forever. And that's, Lesson 101 in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so Jesus is asking the question, are you ready for whatever it entails? And perhaps that's a question that Jesus by his Holy Spirit could pose to any one of us today. And that Jesus would ask that same question of us, are you ready for this? And that Maybe you have been sensing the Holy Spirit through his word speaking to you and challenging you and getting you to think this through what it really means to follow God and you realize that God is calling you into something deeper than what you've had to this point. And maybe that's brought out in the next encounters that Jesus has. And that's from verses 59 through to verse 62. And that's maybe summarized by this question is, will you actually follow fully? Now, the next two guys are essentially the same. Uh, now, the reaction that Jesus gives to these men in some ways allows a lot of people to think negatively of Jesus. It's as if Jesus sees this man who's father is dying and he doesn't give him the opportunity to bury his dad and Jesus is being uh, unnecessarily harsh and the second guy simply wants to go back and say bye bye to his mommy and Jesus again is saying you can't do that you have to be serious about this but if you go back to verse 57 and you reread verse 57 it says that as they were walking along the road in other words these people had been spending a lot of time with Jesus already. Jewish law said that if your father was on his deathbed, your duty was to be beside him. So this guy's father wasn't dying. This guy's father may not have even been sick 
What he's saying, in effect, is that my dad's not dead yet. He may have 15, 20 years still to go, but if I leave now and follow you, he may cut me out of the will, so I'm not prepared to follow just yet. And the second situation was pretty much the same as that, but the point that Jesus is getting at is that what he's asking is a point of serious commitment. It's a full decision, no ifs. And again, that's so contemporary because there are so many of us and we do want to follow Jesus. We're attracted to Jesus. There's something about what he offers that we know this is what I want. This is what life is about. And Jesus offers that, but there's some things I can't let go of. There's some things I can't change. You've probably heard of the name St. Augustine or Augustine, whichever way you wish to pronounce that. He was... A bishop in Hippo, again, that's a nice little place, but whoever knows where Hippo is, North Africa. And his story of coming to Jesus is that at this stage in his life, he knew enough about Jesus that he wanted Jesus. But actually, at this point in his life, he was not living in a Christian way. He was living with a woman. He sensed that he wanted something about Jesus. And he was reading through the book of Romans, and the book of Romans convicted him. It convicted him, and St. Augustine at that point wrote a prayer. And that prayer has come down to us. And the essence of that prayer, and it's entitled, is, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. And I think that is so very contemporary for all of us, no matter what the situation or the aspect of our lives that it's speaking to. We say, Lord, make me right, make me do the right thing, but not just yet. That could be in work. You're wanting to get ahead. You know what you should do to be following the teachings of Jesus in the Bible, but it's going to get in the way of your promotion or what you want to do. So you're saying, Lord, I can't follow you just yet. Maybe it is in terms of your relationships. You know you want Jesus, but things aren't just right. And so you're saying, just not yet, Jesus. There are a hundred, there are a thousand different applications of this, aren't there? About where we are, where we find ourselves in that question is posed to us, will you follow fully? Because you are sitting here thinking, I do want Jesus. I do want to know more of Jesus. I want heaven. But at the same time, you may also be thinking to yourself, is that I don't know that I can do this. I don't know if I've got the strength to do this. Now, whenever I was speaking earlier in the summer, I was reminding you that it's not about your strength, but it's the Lord's strength in you and what Jesus has done finally at the cross where your sins are forgiven, his Holy Spirit is given as a gift to you into your life. That's what Jesus has done. So if you're sitting here, maybe a bit like, if you remember uh, Disney's Pinocchio, and Pinocchio says to himself is that I want to be in pulling up this strength from within him. I want to be selfless, brave, and true. You know, if you're thinking it's self-will, 
and you're thinking it's what you can will up from within yourself, you have not got the idea of what the kingdom of God is because it is God in Jesus working in you. And in this kingdom of God, we have a new king and his name is Jesus and he has given his power in you. His life is in you and he changes everything about you. And Jesus is the only one that you need. So be convinced today that this is all that you need. All that you need is Jesus. Despite everything that the world throws at you, it's all about Jesus. And we will make this commitment today is that I will follow Jesus fully and completely. Even if it means turning my back on certain things, and even if it may be difficult, I will stand. And people will see me standing for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as your word touches our hearts and as you minister to us, Lord, it is by your spirit that you move among us. It is you who speaks. And Lord, as you speak, may we recognize that it is the voice of the Lord himself the voice that cannot be escaped, the voice that chases us down a thousand alleyways, but it is a voice that catches us. So Lord, we look to you and we take our confidence in you in what you do in our lives. Amen.